Honestly, there is not a one size fits all. And I think that when we started the business, we actually thought things would be more standard than they are, but they never are. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to interview Laura Paglarulo. She's the founding member and president of SolarReed. SolarReed invests in land for solar development through land acquisitions, lease monetization, and project repowering. They invest in projects that advance the energy industry's transition to low-carbon fuel sources through working with landowners and developers. Through their investments, they provide landowners with sale opportunities and investors with attractive returns. Prior to joining the company, she was the senior vice president at Clean Choice Energy, where she built and grew the community solar business. Earlier in Laura's career, she held positions at Sun Edison, where she led the community solar division, and WGL Energy, where she ran their voluntary renewable energy business. Laura has over 18 years of experience in renewable energy, electricity, and natural gas industry. There's a lot of interesting topics that Laura talks about in this episode of the podcast. She talks about the innovative financing options for land on solar projects, how the financing of land on solar has yet been destroyed and how big this market opportunity is going to be as solar continues to grow exponentially and there's more solar on land. She also talks about how SolarReed's able to increase solar developers' returns for projects with SolarReed's different product offerings. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Solar Maverick podcast and thank you for listening. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm really excited to have Laura Pagarulo. She's the founding member and president of Solar Read. And Laura, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Benoit. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. I feel like whenever you know we've interacted and have conversations, like I've learned a lot. And I'm excited to like hear what you're doing now and what you're focused on because I really think a lot of people who listen are very interested in this and also about your experiences. I mean, I don't think as many people have you have 15 plus experience in renewable energy, which is pretty impressive. So you're you're like yeah. the original OG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got involved in energy. Actually, I was involved in energy originally in biomass as an undergraduate student. And then my first job was at WGL Energy and I was there for seven years doing, learned a tremendous about electricity and gas while I was there. But I've been involved in solar for the past seven years. So it's, it's been a good run. That's amazing to hear. And I don't know many people who have an expertise in biomass. I actually have an expertise in biomass. Interesting. I did not know that. Yes, we should definitely talk about that offline sometime. Yeah. In the beginning of the podcast, we talked about Solar REIT, but it would be great to learn more about your company and what you're focused on. Yeah, so Solar REIT was founded in June of 2020 as a traditional real estate investment trust. Our goal is to speed the clean energy transition by expanding financing options for solar developers and landowners. Essentially, our mission is to acquire land and leases under solar projects. These projects can be in development or already operational. Definitely, that's so clear and succinct. Can you talk about the products that you're basically offering to landowners and why that's important to them? 
Yeah. So we offer two things. One product is called the lease prepay and the other product is essentially a land purchase. So with the lease prepay, you know, I think you're very familiar with a standard lease that is used primarily in our industry. You know, between 85 and 90% of all land used for ground mount solar is leased at that, you know, fixed price per acre with an escalator over a defined time period. We're offering landowners alternatives to this, primarily via developers who they have partnered with. So the lease prepay essentially allows developers to pull forward the value of the lease into a single lump sum payment in exchange for an easement over the property for that lease term. So for landowners, it gives them flexibility to basically maintain ownership over the property so they don't lose ownership. And you know, with landowners, we frequently find scenarios where they might not want to sell the whole term of the lease. So sometimes we're buying you know, 20 years out of a 40-year lease. We can be flexible there. The second product that we offer is a traditional land purchase. So again, rather than that traditional lease, many of the farmers who control the land where a lot of our new solar development is going may prefer to liquidate their property you know, or their lease, but with an eye for retirement. So some interesting facts that we considered before launching the business was that over 40% of farmers are 65 years and older. And many of them, you know, one of their greatest assets is the land that they own. So we're providing these landowners and these farmers with very attractive offers to purchase their property that hosts these solar farms. That's amazing. I mean, really, you're providing liquidity. Like basically, they couldn't get that liquidity before. I think the other piece is, you know, while these purchase options are not unheard of in the solar market, they're very rarely proactively offered. So one of the things that we're trying to do is work with developers to get them to actually go back to their landowners with whom they have really strong relationships with and just provide them with options. You know, it's another way that developers can provide value to the landowners that they know well and typically have a relationship that has spanned years. That's really an interesting point because I know when we talked about during the pre-interview, you're really actually focused on building the relationship with the developers because it takes a long time for the developers to develop that relationship with a landowner compared to basically solar reaching out to the landowners directly. I'm sure you do both, but it sounds like that might be your preferred method, that it might be more scalable. Yeah. So I would say that developers are definitely our main channel as well as asset owners. But you know, for developers, we have found that we can be accretive to their business model in a number of ways. So essentially the developers for every landowner who opts to sell their land or their lease, we are offering developers or asset owners one of two benefits. One is a reduction in the lease amount. So using an example that we see frequently in the market, when we start working with a developer and they sell their projects at NTP, one of the things we can do is every time a landowner says, yes, I want to sell my land or my lease, we can reduce their lease amounts. So of course, from the developer perspective, when they go sell their project at NTP, they get a bigger dev fee because overall project economics have been improved. The other way we work with developers is sometimes we can provide some sort of you know, lump sum incentive, which are often really helpful for developers to offset the cost of you know, development. So those are two ways we work with um, our developer channels. I think it's also really helpful that a lot of the founders of Solar Ring, myself included, have a lot of very strong developer relationships. And so far, that's been very successful. That's huge because you talked about how the developers have built trust with the landowners over time. But I think that's huge as well. Like, you know, Solar Read and the industry relationships that you have, you have that trust and it's all about trust and the relationship. So 
Yeah. No, I mean, I think that when we're speaking to developers, everyone, you know, I think the people that the shops that are more likely to use solar radar are the small to mid-sized developers. And when you think about a path for them to, you know, get additional value, when you look at, let's say that a developer is working with us and let's say that, you know, a standard lease rate of $2,000 an acre with a standard escalator of 2%, you know, if they were able to work with their landowners and, you know, close on, you know, let's call it like 250 acres of land or lease purchases, it equates to about half a million dollars for them. So it is very meaningful, especially in markets where economics are very thin, like North Carolina, some of the Southeast markets, definitely helpful with some of the utility scale projects. So we're constantly innovating, honestly, and it seems as though every week we're looking to solve some of these developer problems in our business model. And that's huge, really adding value. And it sounds like you're getting involved earlier in the process with the developer, not taking the development risk, but finding the right product to be able to move the project to the finish line. Yeah. So for early stage development, again, when you think about the amount of land that's going to be required for solar, it's a little bit staggering. So NREL estimates that there'll be over 3 million acres of land in the United States used for solar by 2030. I mean, that's a massive figure. And as you know, when a lot of developers are approaching these landowners, they have one product and that product is, you know, our typical lease. What we're doing is with the developer partners that we have and emphasis on partnerships here, we're basically equipping them with tools to go out on day one to say, you know, obviously the landowner can opt for that traditional lease with those annuity payments, or we can bake in from day one a land purchase option or a lease purchase option on day one. So typically those two things rarely enter the conversation or the negotiation unless the landowner demands it. And we're helping to provide developers with these options on day one to, you know, add additional flexibility. That is huge. And I appreciate you going into that. And just it's staggering to think about how much land is going to be half solar in the future. I mean, it really is. I mean, I think that when you think about for every, let's say roughly every five megawatts of solar requires 30 acres of land in our industry, I think it was projected to grow by 20 gigawatts in 2020, you know, a 47% increase from 2019. You know, it's just the industry is growing so quickly and land is a massive component of that. I appreciate you providing the data behind that. I don't think a lot of people know that. One of the things, Benoit, that we think about a lot, and you and I spoke about this before, but when you think about landowners who are essentially consumers, many of them, and you look at the growth that happened in the residential rooftop market and how that market really exploded once we provided homeowners with different financing options for their project. I don't know if you recall, but there was a time where the only households that could take advantage of rooftop solar were those that were wealthy, you know, extremely environmentally minded. And now we have multiple financing options for rooftop solar. We like to think that we're providing those same options via solar reach to landowners now in the market. I think that's a great like analogy and comparison because yeah, I imagine everything when it comes to land acquisition or ownership is going to be so different five years from now. Like we yeah. saw in solar financing, as you mentioned, without a lease or a PPN, you know, I enjoyed that article that you wrote that kind of goes into that, which we'll have actually in the notes of the podcast as well, because I think it's great as well to like see it in the written form. I know I talked about this before, but this is almost like one of the last places of the solar sort of value chain that hasn't been disrupted yet. 
No, you're right. I mean, we've seen costs come down at staggering levels with panels, burgers, all the equipment for solar. And yet land has been such an overlooked part of the overall project cap stack. And as land is actually increasing in terms of costs and you have landowners who are becoming more savvy, I do think it's more important to take a closer look at that part of project development. And do you also look at rooftop or parking lots for leases? Yeah, as long as there's a separate lease, it's something that we'd be able to look at. Sure. Or it gets tricky as if it's a behind-the-meter facility and basically the lease is you know, baked into the PPA. That would be something that would be difficult for us to transact on. Definitely. So that makes sense. It has to be like obviously a separate lease. Yeah. We're basically underwriting the lease itself. So we're looking at things like you know, who the off-takers are, who the contracted revenue is with, and things like that. Is there like a minimum sort of system size or acres that you would look at for a project? Just Yeah. So I would like to say that we can take on deals of all size. We've done smaller deals between, you know, 100,000 and 130,000 deals in the millions. There's not really a deal minimum. You know, I think that when we set out to sort of build the bones of Solar Read, we wanted to be the partner that could work with developers who are doing all different size projects. So from the smaller community solar projects in Maine to, you know, the more expensive five megawatt facilities in Massachusetts, what we're seeing in California. So... We do tackle projects of all size. I don't know if that's going to change in the future as we grow, but right now, it's not a reason why we turn away work. Yeah, definitely. So developers call now. <laughs> <laughs> it could change yeah. for a short period of time. Yeah. <laughs> that's really helpful to know. I think, too, what would be helpful to know is, like, why has the industry focused on leases? You mm-hmm. kind of went into a little bit with the lease and purchase option, but I think yeah. it's really helpful to go yeah. into that more. You know, I think there's probably a couple of reasons, one of which is a lot of the developers that we work with are not well capitalized. And if they do have the capital, many of them do not want to spend dollars on non-IDC eligible expenses. So sometimes we'll find developers who maybe have a parcel or two of land because they were forced to purchase it. But, you know, they're very motivated by deploying dollars that are eligible for the ITC, right? Uh-huh. I think the other thing is, especially if you're prepaying leases, those can really have a negative effect on overall project economics when you're making a lump sum payment of half a million or a million dollars. The real estate investment trust is set up an entirely different way than the solar models that I have been accustomed to. It's an entirely different business. I mean, I would be very interested in that, but I think that probably is like for another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, definitely. That's pretty interesting. And then can you talk about like what states that you've provided, you know, your products to and what states you're focused as well in the future? Yeah, so so far we have done deals in California, Minnesota, Massachusetts, New York, Maryland, Maine, and I know I'm missing North Carolina. We have a national footprint, so there are not any states that we would not look at. I would say that our work is really going to be centered on where there's a concentration of solar. So the southeast, the northeast, California, and then some midwestern states. So wherever there are concentrations of solar farms is, I think, where our business is going to gravitate towards. This episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, the podcast concierge service that I use to make sure that my listeners hear the best quality show. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up time to do more of what you love to do, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347 877 
347-871-8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Thank you. Definitely. And I think obviously in the near future, it'll be in all 50 states. So hopefully grid parity is not that far away. I would say that one of the things that's been interesting, so we started to do work with some utility scale developers. And what's been fascinating is typically when you're building a utility scale project, there are multiple landowners involved. And the notion of getting all landowners to agree to something is just highly unlikely. But when we're working with these utility scale developers, one landowner could agree to sell their lease of the land or all you know, five to 10 of them could agree. But it's not contingent upon the whole. So when some of these utility bigger scale, larger shops, even just getting you know, a portion, 20% of the landowners to agree to something different, you know, really adds value to their economics. So that's been an interesting journey in the past, I would say, three weeks. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I'm thinking about it like even more. I mean, Solar Reed's like a sophisticated investor of land specifically for solar. So as you said, you could provide solutions that other people in the market cannot offer. Yeah, I think it's really helpful that the company, like the founders and the company all have a very deep knowledge of solar, honestly, because, you know, there are certain things that we've seen in leases that don't scare us necessarily just because we just know solar inside and out. And we've been doing this, I think, collectively, our team has developed more than 500 megawatts of solar collectively. So it's a very experienced team that we have. And I think it actually, you know, that paired with real estate knowledge, you know, makes it a very unique combination. That is so true. And it's interesting because with that utility scale project, mm. you could potentially structure the land opportunities differently with the different landowners and be comfortable with, right? One landowner might say, I want to keep the land in my family and I'd like you to monetize my lease. And the other landowner might say, I want to sell the land. And that's completely okay. There's no one size fits all. Some landowners might say, I have a 40-year lease. I want to sell 20 years of that. That's not a problem. You know, I mean, there's all different things that we do. And ultimately, the goal is to benefit the developer as well. So to give the landowner a very competitive price, but honestly, to add some value to the developer as well. Yeah, definitely. That's a huge competitive advantage. And I appreciate you going into more detail about that and explaining, obviously, experience and relationships matter. I guess this is more of a general, but what trends are you seeing right now in the solar industry? Things from your vantage point, you know, obviously things are growing and changing very quickly. We did talk about some trends. You're creating a trend in the industry, right? So it would be great to get your perspective. I never thought of us as creating a trend. I would say that I'm very interested to see uh, new community solar markets open up. I've been very happy to look at the main market, you know, and sort of the work that's being done there. I like to see that New Mexico has opened up. I'm really interested in seeing how we can expand more DG solar across the country. So that's something that I track regularly. I think that's the trend I'm certainly closest to right now. That's a pretty big trend that you're talking about. It'll be interesting to see, you know, all these different markets. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that we're sort of tasked with as an industry is a lot of the solar right now is just so different state by state. I mean, I see this, of course, and I know you do too, but there are some states that haven't enjoyed the benefits of solar like others, and it's so policy-driven. So if we could ever get to a federal policy, obviously, you know, the Clean Jobs Act is really exciting. What they're doing with infrastructure is very exciting, but some sort of federal solar policy would be extremely exciting. So. 
Yeah, I think we all would be extremely excited about that. It's challenging when you have to be concerned state by state with how things work and you have to learn specifically. And then obviously each utility, each township, if there was some sort of uniformity, that would be huge and cutting costs. Actually, the soft costs are another big thing that potentially, Mm -hmm. if we had that, that would go down substantially compared to other countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. Across the U.S. versus like Australia or Germany or something mm-hmm. like that. I also love to see, you know, reading a lot about the expansion of storage to different markets. You know, right now, I think it's very state specific, but that's something that I look forward to seeing take off. That's you know, going to be really important, I think, for our grid and sort of transitioning away from fossil fuels. No, I mean, I think it's a great time to be in clean energy. Clean energy is the only thing I've ever known. And I'm glad I picked it when I did, when I was just a wee 22-year-old. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure for you, it's pretty interesting to think that the real growth hasn't even happened yet, which is pretty amazing. No, I think that that's actually very accurate. And then like the other thing that I was going to ask you too is obviously like you started the company with three other co-founders. The Solar Maverick podcast is about solar and entrepreneurship. Can you talk about like what you've learned, you know, being an entrepreneur and maybe some suggestion that you might have for the audience of what you've learned? Yeah, I think I've learned two things so far. I know we were speaking about one of these earlier. The first is, I think that myself and I know others have very sort of hard driving. And I think that when a startup is concerned, you work really hard, but there's a level of patience that's required and things not necessarily happening on your own timeline. So that has been um, very much new for me in terms of just being patient and waiting for things to unfold um, to a certain extent. And I think the other thing is, especially when you're young, and nimble as a company, just being very laser focused on new tasks at a time. So we set very clear and measurable quarterly goals as a company and you know, just making sure that we're not overreaching. Those are great suggestions. I mean, patience and goal setting. Goal setting is huge, coming up with goals and coming up with a plan to get to them and clear. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we haven't spoken about Solar REIT or your past experience that you would want to speak about? I think that one of the things that we're also doing is, you know, we get some really easy deals that we're working on where a developer, you know, comes to us pre-NTP and it's pretty easily done, or we're working with developers for operational projects or directly with landowners. A few other things to mention that we're actually finding are more of the norm is stepping in at a point where, you know, oftentimes we'll have purchase options that are set to expire at NTP, but as frequently occurs with solar, the project is delayed and the landowner occasionally will not extend the purchase option. Maybe they've extended it a few times already, as you know, can be significantly delayed. So we have stepped in early under certain conditions and actually executed on the purchase options as a way to save the project. So that's something that we're seeing more of. You know, I think some other things that are interesting is we're also working with some developers who have a specialty landfills. And we haven't gotten to a place now where we are willing to purchase a landfill that has not been remediated, but we are willing to purchase the lease under, you know, for some properties. So that has been, I think, something that's very new in the market. And it feels really good to work with these developers and help them monetize those leases. So... Yeah, definitely. That's huge. Sometimes it makes or breaks the project getting done. In all honesty, it's been really helpful. Yeah, I remember you talking about that landfill project where yeah, yeah. 
I don't know if you want to talk about the details. That's kind of similar with the purchase option, right? Yeah, it's just, it's, you know, there are so many flavors of how these things can be applied. You know, I think that occasionally there are developers who like to own the land. So in those situations, we've had discussions with a few who, while they want to keep the land, they want to sell the leases to generate more revenue, go buy more land. So honestly, there is not a one-size-fits-all. And I think that when we started the business, we actually thought things would be more standard than they are. But they never are. Yeah, never. Yes. This is solar. Things are never solar. Yeah. No matter how much we talk about it. Exactly. You know what? That actually brought up like something that I thought was really interesting. As you mentioned about the purchase options, like it takes a long time to develop a solar project. There's always things that you don't foresee happening. Interconnection Mm -hmm. takes longer. Permitting, whatever it may be, takes longer than what the developer expected. I know you don't take development risk, but like you might commit to something earlier and then you have like a capital allocation timeframe it could be an issue of like the time frame that you initially forecasted to basically provide the prepay lease but it takes a lot longer like i guess you're managing that obviously internally right that's something yeah i would say that we're flexible so our preference is to come in at ntp or later yeah and you know that's when we like to close on deals however if there is a great need and you know we have stepped in earlier under certain conditions so that's something that you know it's just more on a case by case basis so you're completely right in that we don't take project risk however you know we have structured deals in a way to protect solar rate and yet satisfy what the developer is looking to achieve at the same time sure that makes sense. And I appreciate you explaining yeah. it because I know like maybe developers are concerned with, you know, whether the terms would change or how that would work. Yeah. I think clearly. Yeah. One thing that's important is we don't like to change any existing paperwork that has been executed sure. between the developer and the landowner. So we like to say that we'll step into any existing lease or option to purchase because, you know, oftentimes when these projects are being evaluated by tax equity and sponsor equity, those documents have already been reviewed. So when we built the business, we built it in a way to minimize friction as much as possible. And that's something that's important to us. That's huge because developers are always concerned about changing paper and going back to the landowner, which yeah. is a nightmare. And then it's a whole education yeah. process. And you don't know how the landowner is going to react. Nobody wants to go back to equity and pitch something different. So, yeah, that's definitely that's true. Well, Laura, this has been an amazing podcast. I appreciate your time. What's the best way for our listeners, who we call Solar Mavericks, to learn more about Solar Read or about you? Yeah, I think probably the best way, Vinoy, is that they can just email me directly at Laura at SolarReed.com. Great. So we'll have your email in the notes. We'll also have your website as well. And then your guest column that was on Solar Power World Online. Mm -hmm. Landowners need more options to stimulate rooftop level boom in large scale solar development. Laura was actually very succinct kind of summarizing the article during the podcast. But I think it's always good to like also see the written form because I think it was really helpful and I learned a lot from it. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was really fun. I appreciate you having me on. Anytime. And I hope to have you on soon and to kind of learn more about this because I feel like in a year from now, a year and a half from now, things are going to be very different than it has in the past year. So thank thank you. you. 
Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.